Chapter six, part two of the condition of the working class in England in eighteen forty four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The condition of the working class in England in eighteen forty four by Friedrich Engels. Single branches of industry, factory hands, part two. The report of the Central Commission relates that the manufacturers began to employ children rarely of five years, often of six, very often of seven, usually of eight to nine years, that the working day often lasted fourteen to sixteen hours, exclusive of meals and intervals, that the manufacturers permitted overlookers to flog and maltreat children, and often took an active part in so doing themselves. One case is related of a Scotch manufacturer who rode after a sixteen-years-old runaway, forced him to return running after the employer as fast as the master's horse trotted, and beat him the whole way with a long whip. In the large towns where the operatives resisted more vigorously, such things naturally happened less often. But even this long working-day failed to satisfy the greed of the capitalists. Their aim was to make the capital invested in the building and machinery produce the highest return, by every available means, to make it work as actively as possible. Hence the manufacturers introduced the shameful system of night-work. Some of them employed two sets of operatives, each numerous enough to fill the whole mill, and let one set work the twelve hours of the day, and the other twelve hours of the night. It is needless to picture the effect upon the frames of young children, and even upon the health of young persons and adults, produced by permanent loss of sleep at night, which cannot be made good by any amount of sleep during the day. Irritation of the whole nervous system, with general lassitude and enfeeblement of the entire frame, were the inevitable results, with the fostering of temptation to drunkenness and unbridled sexual indulgence. One manufacturer testifies that during the two years in which night-work was carried on in his factory, the number of illegitimate children born was doubled, and such general demoralization prevailed that he was obliged to give up night-work. Other manufacturers were yet more barbarous, requiring many hands to work thirty to forty hours at a stretch, several times a week, letting them get a couple of hours' sleep only, because the night-shift was not complete but calculated to replace a part of the operatives only. The reports of the Commission touching this barbarism surpass everything that is known to me in this line. Such infamies as are here related are nowhere else to be found, yet we shall see that the bourgeoisie constantly appeals to the testimony of the Commission as being in its own favour. The consequences of these cruelties became evident quickly enough. The commissioners mention a crowd of cripples who appeared before them, who clearly owed their distortion to the long working hours. This distortion usually consists of a curving of the spinal column and legs, and is described as follows by Francis Sharp, MRCS of Leeds. Quote, I never saw the peculiar bending of the lower ends of the thigh bones before I came to Leeds. At first I thought it was rachitis but I was soon led to change my opinion in consequence of the mass of patients who presented themselves at the hospital, and the appearances of the disease at an age, from the fourteenth to the eighteenth year, in which children are usually not subject to rachitis, 
as well as by the circumstance that the malady had first appeared after children began to work in the mills. Thus far I have seen about a hundred such cases, and can most decidedly express the opinion that they are the consequences of overwork. So far as I know, they are all mill children, and themselves attributed the evil to this cause. The number of cases of curvature of the spine which have fallen under my observation, and which were evidently consequent upon too protracted standing, was not less than three hundred. Precisely similar is the testimony of Dr. Ray, for eighteen years physician in the hospital in Leeds. Quote, Malformations of the spine are very frequent among mill hands, some of them consequent upon mere overwork, others the effect of long work upon constitutions originally feeble or weakened by bad food. Deformities seem even more frequent than these diseases. The knees were bent inward, the ligaments very often relaxed and enfeebled, and the long bones of the legs bent. The thick ends of these long bones were especially apt to be bent and disproportionately developed, and these patients came from the factories in which long work hours were of frequent occurrence. Surgeons Beaumont and Sharp of Bradford bear the same testimony. The reports of Drinkwater, Power, and Dr. Loudon contain a multitude of examples of such distortions, and those of Tufnell and Sir David Barry, which are less directed to this point, give single examples. The commissioners for Lancashire, Cowell, Tufnell, and Hawkins have almost wholly neglected this aspect of the physiological results of the factory system, though this district rivals Yorkshire in the number of cripples. I have seldom traversed Manchester without meeting three or four of them, suffering from precisely the same distortions of the spinal columns and legs as that described, and I have often been able to observe them closely. I know one personally who corresponds exactly with the foregoing description of Dr. Ray, and who got into this condition in Mr. Douglas's factory in Pendleton, an establishment which enjoys an unenviable notoriety among the operatives, by reason of the former long working periods continued night after night. It is evident at a glance whence the distortions of these cripples come. They all look exactly alike. The knees are bent inward and backwards, the ankles deformed and thick, and the spinal column often bent forwards or to one side. But the crown belongs to the philanthropic manufacturers of the Macclesfield Silk District. They employed the youngest children of all, even from five to six years of age. In the supplementary testimony of Commissioner Tufnell, I find the statement of a certain factory manager right, both of whose sisters were most shamefully crippled, and who had once counted the cripples in several streets, some of them the cleanest and neatest streets of Macclesfield. He found in Townley Street ten, George Street five, Charlotte Street four, Watercots fifteen, Bank Top three, Lord Street seven, Mill Lane twelve, Great George Street two, in the workhouse two, Park Green one, Peckford Street two, whose families all unanimously declared that the cripples had become such in consequence of overwork in the silk twisting mills. One boy is mentioned so crippled as not to be able to go upstairs, and girls deformed in back and hips. Other deformities also have proceeded from this overwork, especially flattening of the foot, which Sir D. Barry frequently observed, 
as did the physicians and surgeons in Leeds. In cases in which a stronger constitution, better food, and other more favourable circumstances enabled the young operative to resist this effect of a barbarous exploitation, we find at least pain in the back, hips, and legs, swollen joints, varicose veins, and large, persistent ulcers in the thighs and calves. These affections are almost universal among the operatives. The reports of Stuart, Mackintosh, and Sir D. Barry contain hundreds of examples. Indeed, they know almost no operative who did not suffer from some of these affections. And in the remaining reports, the occurrence of the same phenomena is attested by many physicians. The reports covering Scotland place it beyond all doubt that a working day of thirteen hours, even for men and women from eighteen to twenty-two years of age, produces at least these consequences, both in the flax-spinning mills of Dundee and Dunfermline, and in the cotton mills of Glasgow and Lanark. All these affections are easily explained by the nature of factory work, which is, as the manufacturers say, very light, and precisely by reason of its lightness, more enervating than any other. The operatives have little to do, but must stand the whole time. Anyone who sits down, say upon a window-ledge or a basket, is fined, and this perpetual upright position, this constant mechanical pressure of the upper portions of the body upon spinal column, hips, and legs, inevitably produces the results mentioned. This standing is not required by the work itself, and at Nottingham chairs have been introduced, with the result that these affections disappeared, and the operative ceased to object to the length of the working day. But in a factory where the operative works solely for the bourgeois, and has small interest in doing his work well, he would probably use the seats more than would be agreeable and profitable to the manufacturer, and in order that somewhat less raw material may be spoiled for the bourgeois, the operative must sacrifice health and strength. This long, protracted, upright position, with the bad atmosphere prevalent in the mills, entails, besides the deformities mentioned, a marked relaxation of all vital energies, and in consequence all sorts of other affections general rather than local. The atmosphere of the factories is, as a rule, at once damp and warm, unusually warmer than is necessary, and when the ventilation is not very good, impure, heavy, deficient in oxygen, filled with dust and the smell of the machine oil, which almost everywhere smears the floor, sinks into it, and becomes rancid. The operatives are lightly clad by reason of the warmth, and would readily take cold in case of irregularity of the temperature. A draught is distasteful to them, the general enervation which gradually takes possession of all the physical functions diminishes the animal warmth, this must be replaced from without, and nothing is therefore more agreeable to the operative than to have all the doors and windows closed, and to stay in his warm factory air. Then comes the sudden change of temperature on going out into the cold and wet or frosty atmosphere, without the means of protection from the rain, or of changing wet clothing for dry, a circumstance which perpetually produces colds and when one reflects that, with all this, not one single muscle of the body is really exercised, really called into activity, except perhaps those of the legs, that nothing whatsoever counteracts the enervating, relaxing tendency of all these conditions, that every influence is wanting which might give the muscle strength, 
the fibres elasticity and consistency that from youth up the operative is deprived of all fresh air recreation it is impossible to wonder at the almost unanimous testimony of the physicians in the factories report that they find a great lack of ability to resist disease a general depression in vital activity a constant relaxation of the mental and physical powers let us hear sir d berry first Quote, the unfavorable influences of millwork upon the hands are the following one the inevitable necessity of forcing their mental and bodily effort to keep pace with a machine moved by a uniform and unceasing motive power two continuance in an upright position during unnaturally long and quickly recurring periods three loss of sleep in consequence of too long working hours pain in the legs and general physical derangement to these are often added low crowded dusty or damp workrooms impure air a high temperature and constant perspiration hence the boys especially very soon and with but few exceptions lose the rosy freshness of childhood and become paler and thinner than other boys even the hand-weaver's bound boy who sits before his loom with his bare feet resting upon the clay floor retains a fresher appearance because he occasionally goes into the fresh air for a time but the mill-child has not a moment free except for meals and never goes into the fresh air except on its way to them all adult male spinners are pale and thin suffer from capricious appetite and indigestion and as they are all trained in the mills from their youth up and there are very few tall athletic men among them the conclusion is justified that their occupation is very unfavorable for the development of the male constitution females bear this work far better very naturally but we shall see that they have their own diseases so to power quote, i can bear witness that the factory system in bradford has engendered a multitude of cripples and that the effect of long continued labor upon the physique is apparent not alone in actual deformity but also and much more generally in stunted growth relaxation of the muscles and delicacy of the whole frame so too f sharp in leeds the surgeon already quoted quote, when i moved from scarborough to leeds i was at once struck by the fact that the general appearance of the children was much paler and their fibre less vigorous here than in scarborough and its environs i saw too that many children were exceptionally small for their age i have met with numberless cases of scrofula lung trouble mesenteric affections and indigestion concerning which i as a medical man have no doubt that they arose from mill-work i believe that the nervous energy of the body is weakened by the long hours and the foundation of many diseases laid if people from the country were not constantly coming in the race of mill-hands would soon be wholly degenerate so to beaumont surgeon in bradford quote, to my thinking the system according to which work is done in the mills here produces a peculiar relaxation of the whole organism and thereby makes children in the highest degree susceptible to epidemic as well as to incidental illness i regard the absence of all appropriate regulations for ventilation and cleanliness in the mills very decidedly as the chief cause of that peculiar tendency or susceptibility to morbid affections which i have so frequently met in my practice 
Similar testimony is borne by Dr. Ray. Quote, One, I have had opportunity of observing the effects of the factory system upon the health of children under the most favorable circumstances. Note, in Woods Mill, in Bradford, the best arranged of the district in which he was factory surgeon. End of note. Two, these effects are decidedly, and to a very great extent, injurious, even under these most favorable circumstances. 3. In the year 1842, three-fifths of all the children employed in Wood's Mill were treated by me. 4. The worst effect is not the predominance of deformities, but of enfeebled and morbid constitutions. 5. All this is greatly improved since the working hours of children have been reduced at Woods to ten. End quote. The commissioner, Dr. Loudon himself, who cites these witnesses, says, quote, In conclusion, I think it has been clearly proved that children have been worked a most unreasonable and cruel length of time daily, and that even adults have been expected to do a certain quantity of labor which scarcely any human being is able to endure. The consequence is that many have died prematurely, and others are afflicted for life with defective constitutions, and the fear of a posterity enfeebled by the shattered constitution of the survivors is but too well founded from a physiological point of view. And finally, Dr. Hawkins, in speaking of Manchester, quote, I believe that most travellers are struck by the lowness of stature the leanness and the paleness which present themselves so commonly to the eye at Manchester, and above all among the factory classes. I have never been in any town in Great Britain, nor in Europe, in which degeneracy of form and colour from the national standard has been so obvious. Among the married women all the characteristic peculiarities of the English wife are conspicuously wanting." I must confess that all the boys and girls brought before me from the Manchester mills had a depressed appearance and were very pale. In the expression of their faces lay nothing of the usual mobility, liveliness, and cheeriness of youth. Many of them told me that they felt not the slightest inclination to play out of doors on Saturday and Sunday, but preferred to be quiet at home." I add at once another passage of Hawkins' report which only half belongs here, but may be quoted here as well as anywhere else. Quote, Intemperance, excess, and want of providence are the chief faults of the factory population, and these evils may be readily traced to the habits which are formed under the present system, and almost inevitably arise from it. It is universally admitted that indigestion, hypochondria, and general debility affect this class to a very great extent. After twelve hours of monotonous toil, it is but natural to look about for a stimulant of one sort or another. But when the above-mentioned diseased conditions are added to the customary weariness, people will quickly and repeatedly take refuge in spirituous liquors." For all this testimony of the physicians and commissioners, the report itself offers hundreds of cases of proof. That the growth of young operatives is stunted by their work hundreds of statements testify. Among others, Cowell gives the weight of forty-six youths of seventeen years of age, from one Sunday school, of whom twenty-six employed in mills, averaged one hundred and four point five pounds, and twenty not employed in mills, one hundred and seventeen point seven pounds. 
one of the largest manufacturers of Manchester, leader of the opposition against the working men, I think Robert Hyde Gregg himself said, on one occasion, that if things went on as at present, the operatives of Lancashire would soon be a race of pygmies. A recruiting officer testified that operatives are little adapted for military service, looked thin and nervous, and were frequently rejected by the surgeons as unfit. In Manchester he could hardly get men of five feet eight inches. They were usually only five feet six to seven, whereas in the agricultural districts most of the recruits were five feet eight. The men wear out very early in consequence of the conditions under which they live and work. Most of them are unfit for work at forty years, a few hold out to forty-five, almost none to fifty years of age. This is caused not only by the general enfeeblement of the frame, but also very often by a failure of the sight, which is a result of mule-spinning, in which the operative is obliged to fix his gaze upon a long row of fine, parallel threads, and so greatly to strain the sight. Of 1,600 operatives employed in several factories in Harper and Lanark, but ten were over forty-five years of age. Of 22,094 operatives in diverse factories in Stockport and Manchester, but 143 were over forty-five years old. Of these 143, sixteen were retained as a special favour, and one was doing the work of a child. A list of 131 spinners contained but seven over 45 years, and yet the whole 131 were rejected by the manufacturers to whom they applied for work as too old, and were without means of support by reason of old age. Mr. Ashworth, a large manufacturer, admits in a letter to Lord Ashley that towards the fortieth year the spinners can no longer prepare the required quantity of yarn and are therefore sometimes discharged. He calls operatives forty years of age old people. Commissioner Mackintosh expresses himself in the same way in the report of 1833. Quote, Although I was prepared for it from the way the children are employed, I still found it difficult to believe the statements of the older hands as to their ages. They age so very early. End quote. Surgeon Smelly of Glasgow, who treated operatives chiefly, says that forty years is old age for them. And similar evidence may be found elsewhere. In Manchester, this premature old age among the operatives is so universal that almost every man of forty would be taken for ten to fifteen years older, while the prosperous classes, men as well as women, preserve their appearance exceedingly well if they do not drink too heavily. The influence of factory work upon the female physique is also marked and peculiar. The deformities entailed by long hours of work are much more serious among women. Protracted work frequently causes deformities of the pelvis, partly in the shape of abnormal position and development of the hip bones, partly of malformation of the lower portion of the spinal column. Quote, Although, says Dr. Loudon in his report, no example of malformation of the pelvis and of some other affections came under my notice. These things are nevertheless so common that every physician must regard them as probable consequences of such working hours, and as vouched for besides by men of the highest medical credibility." That factory operatives undergo more difficult confinement than other women is testified to by several midwives and accoucheurs 
and also that they are more liable to miscarriage. Moreover, they suffer from the general enfeeblement common to all operatives, and when pregnant, continue to work in the factory up to the hour of delivery, because otherwise they lose their wages and are made to fear that they may be replaced if they stop away too soon. It frequently happens that women are at work one evening and delivered the next morning, and the case is none too rare of their being delivered in the factory, among the machinery. And if the gentlemen of the bourgeoisie find nothing particularly shocking in this, their wives will perhaps admit that it is a piece of cruelty, an infamous act of barbarism, indirectly to force a pregnant woman to work twelve or thirteen hours daily, formerly still longer, up to the day of her delivery, in a standing position, with frequent stoopings. But this is not all. If these women are not obliged to resume work within two weeks, they are thankful and count themselves fortunate. Many come back to the factory after eight, and even after three to four days, to resume full work. I once heard a manufacturer ask an overlooker, quote, Is so-and-so not back yet? Quote, no. Quote, How long since she was confined? Quote, a week. Quote, she might surely have been back long ago. That one over there only stays three days. Naturally, fear of being discharged, dread of starvation, drives her to the factory in spite of her weakness, in defiance of her pain. The interest of the manufacturer will not brook that his employees stay at home by reason of illness. They must not be ill. They must not venture to lie still through a long confinement or he must stop his machinery or trouble his supreme head with a temporary change of arrangements, and rather than do this he discharges his people when they begin to be ill. Listen. Quote, a girl feels very ill, can scarcely do her work. Why does she not ask permission to go home? Ah, the master is very particular, and if we are away half a day, we risk being sent away altogether. End quote or Sir D. Barry, quote, Thomas McDirt, workman, has slight fever, cannot stay at home longer than four days, because he would fear of losing his place, end quote. And so it goes on in almost all the factories. The employment of young girls produces all sorts of irregularities during the period of development. In some, especially those who are better fed, the heat of the factories hastens this process so that in single cases girls of thirteen and fourteen are wholly mature. Robertson, whom I have already cited, mentioned in the Factories Inquiry Commission's report as the eminent gynaecologist of Manchester, relates in the North of England Medical and Surgical Journal that he had seen a girl of eleven years who was not only a wholly developed woman, but pregnant, and that it was by no means rare in Manchester for women to be confined at fifteen years of age. In such cases, the influence of the warmth of the factories is the same as that of a tropical climate, and as in such climates the abnormally early development revenges itself by correspondingly premature age and debility. On the other hand, retarded development of the female constitution occurs, the breasts mature late or not at all. Menstruation first appears in the seventeenth or eighteenth, sometimes in the twentieth year, and is often wholly wanting. Irregular menstruation, coupled with great pain and numerous affections, especially with anemia, is very frequent, as the medical reports unanimously state. 
children of such mothers particularly of those who are obliged to work during pregnancy cannot be vigorous they are on the contrary described in the report especially in manchester as very feeble and barry alone asserts that they are healthy but says further that in scotland where his inspection lay almost no married women worked in factories moreover most of the factories there are in the country with the exception of glasgow a circumstance which contributes greatly to the invigoration of the children the operative children in the neighbourhood of manchester are nearly all thriving and rosy while those within the city look pale and scrofulous but with the ninth year the colour vanishes suddenly because all are then sent into the factories when it soon becomes impossible to distinguish the country from the city children but besides all this there are some branches of factory work which have an especially injurious effect in many rooms of the cotton and flax spinning mills the air is filled with fibrous dust which produces chest affections especially among workers in the carding and combing rooms some constitutions can bear it some cannot but the operative has no choice he must take the room in which he finds work whether his chest is sound or not the most common effects of this breathing of dust are blood-spitting hard noisy breathing pains in the chest coughs sleeplessness in short all the symptoms of asthma ending in the worst cases in consumption especially unwholesome is the wet spinning of linen yarn which is carried on by young girls and boys the water spurts over them from the spindle so that the front of their clothing is constantly wet through to the skin and there is always water standing on the floor this is the case to a less degree in the doubling rooms of the cotton mills and the result is a constant succession of colds and affections of the chest a hoarse rough voice is common to all operatives but especially to wet spinners and doublers stuart mackintosh and sir d barry expressed themselves in the most vigorous terms as to the unwholesomeness of this work and the small consideration shown by most of the manufacturers for the health of the girls who do it another effect of flax spinning is a peculiar deformity of the shoulder especially a projection of the right shoulder blade consequent upon the nature of the work this sort of spinning and the throstle spinning of cotton frequently produce diseases of the knee-pan which is used to check the spindle during the joining of broken threads the frequent stooping and the bending to the low machines common to both these branches of work have in general a stunting effect upon the growth of the operative in the throstle room of the cotton mill at manchester in which i was employed i do not remember to have seen one single tall well-built girl they were all short dumpy and badly formed decidedly ugly in the whole development of the figure but apart from all these diseases and malformations the limbs of the operatives suffer in still another way the work between the machinery gives rise to multitudes of accidents of more or less serious nature which have for the operative the secondary effect of unfitting him for his work more or less completely the most common accident is the squeezing off of a single joint of a finger somewhat less common the loss of the whole finger half or a whole hand an arm etc in the machinery lockjaw very often follows even upon the lesser among these injuries and brings death with it besides the deformed persons a great number of maimed ones may be seen going about in manchester 
this one has lost an arm or a part of one, that one a foot, the third half a leg. It is like living in the midst of an army just returned from a campaign. But the most dangerous portion of the machinery is the strapping which conveys motive power from the shaft to the separate machines, especially if it contains buckles, which, however, are rarely used now. Whoever is seized by the strap is carried up with lightning speed, thrown against the ceiling above and floor below with such force that there is rarely a whole bone left in the body, and death follows instantly. Between June 12th and August 3rd, 1843, the Manchester Guardian reported the following serious accidents, the trifling ones it does not notice. June 12th. A boy died in Manchester of lockjaw, caused by his hand being crushed between wheels. June 16th. A youth in Saddleworth, seized by a wheel and carried away with it, died utterly mangled. June 29th. A young man at Greenacres Moor, near Manchester, at work in a machine shop, fell under the grindstone, which broke two of his ribs and lacerated him terribly. July 24th. A girl in Oldham died, carried around fifty times by a strap, no bone unbroken. July 27th. A girl in Manchester seized by the blower, that is, the first machine that receives the raw cotton, and died of injuries received. August 3rd, a bobbins-turner died in Dukenfield, caught in a strap, every rib broken. In the year 1843, the Manchester Infirmary treated 962 cases of wounds and mutilations caused by machinery, while the number of all other accidents within the district of the hospital was 2,426, so that for five accidents from all other causes, two were caused by machinery. The accidents which happen in Salford are not included here, nor are those treated by surgeons in private practice. In such cases, whether or not the accident unfits the victim for further work, the employer, at best, pays the doctor, or in very exceptional cases, he may pay wages during treatment. What becomes of the operative afterwards, in case he cannot work, is no concern of the employer. The factory report says on this subject, that employers must be made responsible for all cases, since children cannot take care, and adults will take care in their own interest. But the gentlemen who write the report are bourgeois, and so they must contradict themselves and bring up later all sorts of bosh on the subject of the culpable temerity of the operatives. The state of the case is this. If children cannot take care, the employment of children must be forbidden. If adults are reckless, they must be mere overgrown children on a plane of intelligence which does not enable them to appreciate the danger in its full scope. And who is to blame for this but the bourgeoisie which keeps them in a condition in which their intelligence cannot develop? Or the machinery is ill-arranged and must be surrounded with fencing to supply which falls to the share of the bourgeoisie? Or the operative is under inducements which outweigh the threatened danger? He must work rapidly to earn his wages, has no time to take care, and for this, too, the bourgeoisie is to blame. Many accidents happen, for instance, while the operatives are cleaning machinery in motion. Why? Because the bourgeois would otherwise oblige the worker to clean the machinery during the free hours while it is not going, and the worker naturally is not disposed to sacrifice any part of his free time. 
every free hour is so precious to the worker that he often risks his life twice a week rather than sacrifice one of them to the bourgeois let the employer take from working hours the time required for cleaning the machinery and it will never again occur to an operative to clean machinery in motion in short from whatever point of view the blame falls ultimately on the manufacturer and of him should be required at the very least lifelong support of the incapacitated operative and support of the victim's family in case death follows the accident in the earliest period of manufacture the accidents were much more numerous in proportion than now for the machinery was inferior smaller more crowded and almost never fenced but the number is still large enough as the foregoing cases prove to arouse grave question as to a state of things which permits so many deformities and mutilations for the benefit of a single class and plunges so many industrious working people into want and starvation by reason of injuries undergone in the service and through the fault of the bourgeoisie a pretty list of diseases engendered purely by the hateful money-greed of the manufacturers women made unfit for childbearing children deformed men enfeebled limbs crushed whole generations wrecked afflicted with disease and infirmity purely to fill the purses of the bourgeoisie and when one reads of the barbarism of single cases how children are seized naked in bed by the overlookers and driven with blows and kicks to the factory their clothing over their arms how their sleepiness is driven off with blows how they fall asleep over their work nevertheless how one poor child sprang up still asleep at the call of the overlooker and mechanically went through the operations of its work after its machine was stopped when one reads how children too tired to go home hide away in the wool in the drawing-room to sleep there and could only be driven out of the factory with straps how many hundreds came home so tired every night that they could eat no supper for sleepiness and want of appetite that their parents found them kneeling by the bedside where they had fallen asleep during their prayers when one reads all this and a hundred other villainies and infamies in this one report all testified to on oath confirmed by several witnesses deposed by men whom the commissioners themselves declare trustworthy when one reflects that this is a liberal report a bourgeois report made for the purpose of reversing the previous tory report and rehabilitating the pureness of heart of the manufacturers that the commissioners themselves are on the side of the bourgeoisie and report all these things against their own will how can one be otherwise than filled with wrath and resentment against a class which boasts of philanthropy and self-sacrifice while its own object is to fill its purse a tout prix meanwhile let us listen to the bourgeoisie speaking through the mouth of its chosen apostle dr Ur, who relates in his philosophy of manufacturers that the workers have been told that their wages bore no proportion to their sacrifices the good understanding between masters and men being thus disturbed instead of this the working men should have striven to recommend themselves by attention and industry and should have rejoiced in the prosperity of their masters they would then become overseers superintendents and finally partners and would thus o oh wisdom thou speakest as the dove quote, have increased at the same time the demand for their companions labour in the market Quote, 
had it not been for the violent collisions and interruptions resulting from erroneous views among the operatives the factory system would have been developed still more rapidly and beneficially hereupon follows a long jeremiad upon the spirit of resistance of the operatives and on the occasion of a strike of the best-paid workers the fine spinners the following naive observation quote, in fact it was their high wages which enabled them to maintain a stipendiary committee in affluence and to pamper themselves into nervous ailments by a diet too rich and exciting for their indoor employments let us hear how the bourgeois describes the work of children quote, i have visited many factories both in manchester and in the surrounding districts during a period of several months entering the spinning-rooms unexpectedly and often alone at different times of the day and i never saw a single instance of corporal chastisement inflicted on a child nor indeed did i ever see children in ill humour they seemed to be always cheerful and alert taking pleasure in the light play of their muscles enjoying the mobility natural to their age the scene of industry so far from exciting sad emotions in my mind was always exhilarating it was delightful to observe the nimbleness with which they pieced broken ends as the mule carriage began to recede from the fixed roller beam and to see them at leisure after a few seconds exercise of their tiny fingers to amuse themselves in any attitude they chose till the stretch and winding on were once more completed the work of these lively elves seemed to resemble a sport in which habit gave them a pleasing dexterity conscious of their skill they were delighted to show it off to any stranger as to exhaustion by the day's work they evinced no trace of it on emerging from the mill in the evening for they immediately began to skip about any neighbouring playground and to commence their little games with the same alacrity as boys issuing from a school naturally as though the immediate movement of every muscle were not an urgent necessity for frames grown at once stiff and relaxed but ur should have waited to see whether this momentary excitement had not subsided after a couple of minutes and besides ur could see this whole performance only in the afternoon after five or six hours work but not in the evening as to the health of the operatives the bourgeois has the boundless impudence to cite the report of eighteen thirty three just quoted in a thousand places as testimony for the excellent health of these people to try to prove by detached and garbled quotations that no trace of scrofula can be found among them and what is quite true that the factory system frees them from all acute diseases that they have every variety of chronic affection instead he naturally conceals to explain the impudence with which our friend Ur palms off the grossest falsehoods upon the English public, it must be known that the report consists of three large folio volumes, which it never occurs to a well-fed English bourgeois to study through. Let us hear further how he expresses himself as to the Factory Act of 1834, passed by the liberal bourgeoisie, and imposing only the most meagre limitations upon the manufacturers, as we shall see this law especially its compulsory education clause he calls an absurd and despotic measure directed against the manufacturers through which all children under twelve years of age have been thrown out of employment and with what results the children thus discharged from their light and useful occupation receive no education whatsoever 
cast out from the warm spinning-room into a cold world, they subsist only by begging and stealing, a life in sad contrast with their steadily improving condition in the factory and in Sunday school. Under the mask of philanthropy, this law intensifies the sufferings of the poor, and will greatly restrict the conscientious manufacturer in his useful work, if indeed it does not wholly stop him. End of chapter 6, part 2